episode of How in the Know, a podcast about sex work by sex workers for sex workers. I'm Selena the Stripper, and uh, unfortunately, our little calla lily clover uh, cannot join us right now because uh, she is having some stomach pains, um, but she's here with us in our hearts. Today, our guest is the mind-fucking mistress, Mia Action. <laughs> Mia is my very, very dear friend, former lover, uh, collaborator, colleague, a sex worker, pro-dom, just everything all of the above, artist, um, and I cannot be more thrilled to have her on today. Thank you for being here. Of course. And we are here in New York. We are in the BK, the Brooklyn, uh, on this beautiful cloudy day Mm -hmm. together. So welcome. So every episode, we begin with a segment called Historical Hose, where we discuss the lives of sex workers, living or dead. Some are good, some are very bad, uh, some are well-documented lives, and some are mostly remembered through their myth and legend. This week's Historical Ho is Su Zhao Zhao. Um, I am going to apologize ahead of time for my reading of Pinyin. I am not incredibly familiar with how to pronounce Pinyin, and this is um, a Chinese sex worker. So uh, just letting you guys know ahead of time and apologizing to everybody who speaks proper uh, Mandarin and Cantonese. Sorry, you guys. And I got most of my info from wikifollowcn.com and uh, hangzhutravel.org. So, Su Zhao Zhao, sometimes known as Su Zhao Jun or Little Su, was a famous Chinese courtesan and poet from the Qianteng city, now Hengzhou, of the Zhejiang province. Su was her family name. She is said to have a sister named Su Panu. And Zhao Zhao is actually the character for small written twice. So it's like making this affectionate diminutive nickname. So it's like Itty Bitty Su. Um... So she's well known for her intellectual talent and great beauty. Uh, She pursued the values of love, beauty, and humanity reflected in her writing and popular poetry. And I guess at that time, um, Chinese courtesans were expected to know how to um, write poetry, sing, and dance. So they were just like these complex artists. Um, So there are many stories attached to the life of Su Zhao Zhao and no way of knowing like if there was it was especially historically accurate there's like one that um she like gave help to some guy who was like gave money to support some guy who was going to take like some scholarly test in like the one of the capital cities and he never came back and she pined after him but it doesn't seem very likely because she seemed to have a very um as her own joie de vie and had no interest in settling down with a single man <laughs> Um, she did not want to be a man's wife or mistress. She preferred to share her beauty with the common people while showing a certain contempt for the wealthy. Um, in her late teens, uh, Su Zhao Zhao developed a terminal mental er, terminal illness um, during which she took the view that heaven was going was giving her this special opportunity to leave a legacy of beauty in her memory th- through her death at a very young age. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. And she died at uh, 19 years of age. So 
um, she was a very sought after courtesan and um, and a lot of people have written quite a lot about her. There's um, a lot of like uh, Ting Dynasty poets, like uh, Bai Zhu, um, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna really kill this for you guys. <laughs> uh, Bai Zhu Yi, Li He, Wen Ting Yun, and Prime Minister writer uh, Zhang Dai, uh, who also wrote the heroine story, The Romantic Trails of Xilin. So she was like, I think she was buried by like, um, a, like by a, a tree of Xilin. Oh, and there's also a Chinese television show called Loving Courtesan Su Zhao Zhao. Um, so she, I, there's like one little, I was trying to find her poetry and maybe it's just American Google is not searching things properly. So um, I might, you know, follow up to this if someone has better information. <laughs> but anyway, so this is one uh, poem by her and it's called The Song of the Same Heartbeat. I ride in a decorated carriage. My darling rides a blue-white horse. Where shall we tie the knot for our heart? Under the pine and cypress tree of Jiling. So yeah, um, shout out to Su Zhao um, a Chinese courtesan of many years ago. And I wish I could get more into her um, sex work, it says, generally speaking, prostitutes were despised by the other uh, social statuses in the past. I should say sex worker, but in this case, they use that term. Um, many people try to find the clues why she became so popular, um, but uh, it, they think it's just she was like uniquely beautiful and talented, and a lot of people really fell in love with her poetry, it seems. But of course, she's a person of myth and legend as much as reality. Anyway, shout, uh, shout out to you, Su Zhao Zhao. Xiao Zhao. <laughs> okay, so we are continuing our conversation today with Mistress Mia Action. Mm. So, you're a pro dom. Yes. Do you, in your personal life, identify as a kinky person? Absolutely. Yes, I am very kinky. How has that changed over time? So I would say, I would say I've always been kinky. I have given myself more and more permission over the years to explore more and more of that. So what, what's your favorite kink, if you had to pick one? For me, kinkiness is not, about, it's not um, activity specific for mm -hmm. me. It's more of like a philosophical worldview. Oh, okay. So yeah. what is, I mean, can you kind of, Start to unpack what that is. What that is. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think a lot about, you know, the construction of normalcy and kink and pathology to begin with. And... Oh, oh, so it's kind of like, you know, if you think that one kind of sexuality is like normal and then everything else is not normal. Yeah. Then that's one paradigm. But by changing the paradigm to see like, you know, there's a really wide range of normal and most things are within the range of normal. Or even not normal, and it's okay to not be normal. True, too. true. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so there's some shit that I'm into that is not normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you, what, can you give us an example? Um, well, I, yeah, I mean, I say that kind of in jest. So, like, yeah. I, I definitely um, am a strong advocate of 
normalizing and depathologizing kink mm-hmm. and fetish. Yeah. One particular activity, kink activity that I think a lot of people, you know, have understandable like apprehensions or I feel a certain level of intens- intensity about is um, play involving blood and oh, yes. needles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... You like to do needle play? Yes, I like to do needle play and scalpel play. So um, what does that mean exactly? Yes. So... Where, so one, where do you get your needles and your scalpels? So I get my scalpels from Amazon, Mm -hmm. actually, or I did get them from Amazon previously. Um, And now it will usually be like a veterinary, like a a veterinary website. Mm. Like they'll sell wholesale scalpels and needles and things like that. Well, so you can just kind of like buy it wholesale. And so the reason why you're buying it from that, is it like a sterility thing? Because you can... Yes. I mean, it's very important if you're playing with needles, if you're playing with blood, you have to... sharp things. You need to be in a sterile environment or you need to figure out... At least a clean environment. A clean environment, Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So... Yeah, any any type of blood play you're doing, you you want to be as clean as possible, and you're using you're using needles and scalpels that are sterile, one time use, mm-hmm. unless you have an autoclave, which I don't have. What's an autoclave? <clears throat> That's it's like a steam. It it basically heats up your equipment, like they use in doctors' offices. Oh, okay, so it's a heat like, sterilizer. It's, it's yeah, it sterilizes I think through steam. Oh, okay, That's yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. buy them. They're just expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One day. And I, I mean, it's not them. typical to like, you know, reuse needles anyway. Like no. Needles, you, you dispose of immediately. You get rid of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. it, so I kind of understand what somebody might want with a scalpel, but what do they want with the needle and the syringes? So with needle play, um, it's typically, I mean, some people inject, I guess, saline. Like there's, for example, like um, scrotal infusions. Oh, it's like um, in, it like dabbles in the world of like medical fetish? Absolutely. I don't consider myself, I'm not necessarily personally super into medical play, but there is some overlap in terms of blood play mm-hmm. and needle play. But yeah, so like saline infusions, like people will, and I don't, I don't actually do this, mm-hmm. but um one day. Um, yeah, I mean, I, saline is, like, totally safe to inject yeah. inside of you. I I only know this because I've had to inject uh, saline into um, my aunt's catheter. So mm-hmm. so it's, right. it's really interesting. I also, um, something that I didn't realize is that you can taste saline whenever it's injected into you. I did not know that. That's an interesting, interesting. thing, yeah. So, like, and then you mentioned something. Uh, one time we talked about this, and you said somebody was, like, like fuck me with your needle. <laughs> oh yeah, um, that was a play partner that I had who was a very heavy masochist. Who, mm-hmm. For some people, for me personally, it's not a particularly sexual activity, but for some people, it's extremely sexual and sexually arousing mm-hmm. um, to be, you know, penetrated with a needle. Mm-hmm. Where do people want you to, you know, penetrate them with needles? Like, you know, typical arteries and veins, or is it like? Um, I want you to pierce my dick with it or like scrotum or something. Right. So with with uh, needle play, typically you're doing superficial piercings that will be removed. So they're temporary. So mm-hmm. you're only keeping them in for, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour. The duration of the like scene. That. The duration of the scene. They're mm-hmm. not intended to stay in the skin. If, mm-hmm. if you're doing piercings that are staying in the skin, you, you need to have more 
you know, training and qualifications yeah. to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the goal is not to hit a, a artery or a vein because, I mean, unless you're a really hardcore blood enthusiast, I guess. But um, typically, you know, you're staying in the the surface level of the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can pierce basically anywhere with the exception of, like, there are, like, dangerous places to pierce, such as the joints the neck Mm. a lot of people don't recommend piercing the face if you don't know what you're doing Mm -hmm. um i mean technically you can pierce anywhere but i typically stick to fattier areas of the body okay like Um, fatty tissue yeah like the breasts the stomach the thighs the buttocks the back the arms Mm -hmm. um i have not pierced a dick yet but it's going to happen but it's gonna happen yes do you get many female clients or afab clients I have, I don't get a ton. I have gotten several non-binary trans clients. Many of, for example, the female clients that I've gotten were either in the closet Mm -hmm. um, about their female identity. Um, Uh So, you know, only um, expressing that part-time. Okay. Um, And then um, I've had a couple trans-masculine clients. Um, But regarding cis-female clients, I have not gotten any yet but i am certainly welcome them no i I was just very curious yeah so how do you find your clients nowadays like you're in the kink community you go to conferences and networking events Mm -hmm. you're always like building your skills and your knowledge by going to workshops and all of that but is that a good place to meet clients or is it just more like practitioners there is a weird um, kind of disconnect between lifestyle um, kink community and the professional community. I, I do think that professional dominatrixes and professional like BDSM practitioners are um, ostracized by lifestyle communities. And hmm. there is this air of um, if you really liked what you were doing, you wouldn't expect you would do us to for pay free. for it. Like you should just do it because you like it and if you don't you're not actually kinky and you're just trying to take money from us like perverts or something like that there Hmm. is definitely an attitude like that which is fucking bullshit that's yeah Um, (laughs) that blows my mind because sex workers are the backbone of the kink community and definitely um we provide an invaluable service that many people need exactly i I could not agree more so where do you do you meet your clients primarily Um, so I advertise on several websites. Um, I came into pro-doming right when Backpage was closing down. Um, so I never really got the opportunity to advertise on there. I do know a lot of people that did use Backpages. Mm -hmm. Um, I advertise on FetLife. Mm -hmm. I advertise, which actually a lot of people say, why would you use FetLife? Like, that's just a, like, that's just full of lifestyle people that, don't actually have any money that's like just not simply it simply isn't true like i get so many clients from fetlife wow that's where i i I get like at least half i would say that's surprising my clients from fetlife Mm -hmm. twitter is um one that i use uh dicky virgin is a pretty well-known uh femdom advertising website what is how do you spell it dicky virgin is d-i-c-k-i-e virgin Mm-hmm. V-I-R-G-I-N. Yeah, Virgin. Yeah. Or V-I-R-G-I-N. <laughs> yeah. DickieVirgin.com. Yeah. So you have a personal website. I and do. you have recently put a lot of work yes. into tailoring it. It looks beautiful. Thank You've you. You've done some photo shoots. Yes. To really show off your skill set and also your clients. And yes. Um, all of the amazing ways that you can humiliate and hurt people. 
Yes, and and make them happy. And make them very happy. Yeah, with being a pro-dom, I think having a website nowadays seems like it's pretty important because I think a lot of people that are coming to see pro-doms, they are really looking for that. Like they're looking for that personality. They're looking for like a specific personality, a certain image. I mean, I guess that's true for Mm -hmm. any type of sex worker. Mm -hmm. But from my experience, if you really want to do well as a pro-dom, like you need to have a website with like a brand oh totally yeah i think that's crucial nowadays Mm -hmm. so i have a question so you are the dominant and you have submissives but how does the power really work in those relationships do you feel like you're fully in control all the time or does how much does the sub dictate are you asking um, about lifestyle or are you asking about with my clients? Clients, clients. So I think that there is a misguided perception that dominatrixes are somehow more empowered, just more in control than other types of sex workers mm-hmm. and are somehow like, you know, there is like in society, I think it's more socially acceptable to say you're a dominatrix than it is to say I'm a full service sex worker yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like dominatrixes aren't de- and quote degrading themselves in the same way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's or they're a, degrading men. So it makes it better. right. Exactly. And it just simply isn't true. Pro doms deal with the same type of misogyny or not the same, but deal with misogyny just in different manifestations. And in a way, it's almost like weirder because part of what the image you're selling to your clients is that you are in control but we're all still operating in white cis hetero patriarchy in a misogynistic Mm -hmm. world the fetish is that we are like the dominant aggressive one like Mm -hmm. that's the sex appeal yes that it's like subverting cultural norms so that was definitely something that i learned when I got into this, that I did have that perception of, oh, like, dominatrixes are these, like, badass, like, you know, we can do whatever the fuck we want. Like, we really are telling them what to do. It really isn't that. It's really not that simple. You know, we're still providing a service, and we're still being attentive to what the needs of our clients are. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really is, like, every client has very specific parameters of what they're looking for in the interaction. Absolutely. And you're not supposed to deviate from that because that could ruin the scene. Yes. Of course, not everyone is that way. I have wonderful, wonderful people that are flexible and open to trying different things and like really do want to have some taste of that power exchange experience. And then there are people who are very, very rigid. And that's okay, too. It's just the frustrating part is when they want you to pretend like you actually are yeah. in control when they have such a rigid expectation of what controlling them looks like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Could you talk about one of your submissives that you're especially excited about? Um, Just give me the details, like how you met, how long your relationship has been, what duties you have, and what duties they have. Yeah, absolutely. Probably the person that comes to mind is the person I've been seeing the longest, and um, he's been serving me for 645 days now i believe wow this person is a chastity submissive Mm -hmm. yes who takes the chastity um the interest in chastity to the extreme Mm -hmm. um this person has not come for 645 days wow and um yes um so wait how does the chastity work what does that look like yeah so actually 
this person lives out on the West Coast, so we do have a long-distance relationship. Because you're based in Philadelphia. I'm based in Philadelphia, and he's based in the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And so we have a three-hour time difference. Mm -hmm. And he is expected to check in with me every day, and he wears a chastity cage 24-7, with the exception of when he takes it off to clean it, to clean his, his junk. Uh-huh. And then he puts it back on. And does he take it off for any other reasons? If he has to go through airport security. Uh-huh. I um, guess that's one less thing to explain. <laughs> yeah, because one time he tried to, um, he didn't wear it, but he tried to bring his chastity cage like on the airplane in his carry-on, and they confiscated it. Wow. They were like, it's a weapon. Like, they were, it was, he was probably. They were so, so wrong. And he was so mortified. <laughs> I mean, maybe, do you, would he be into that or no? No. No, not every sub is into being exposed and humiliated. Mm-hmm. And this person's a prime example of that. He's incredibly private. Mm-hmm. Um, he enjoys what we do together and doesn't want to include anyone else in it. That um, That is understandable. So yeah. beyond the chastity cage, Uh, What else does this submissive like? So he has a very interesting affection for um, jumpsuits. Any particular type? Specifically, his biggest interest is in black and white or striped prison jumpsuits. But he also likes janitor jumpsuits and just work jumpsuits in general. So like it could be a mechanic jumpsuit. Mechanic jumpsuit. Yes. I think he would like the jumpsuit I'm wearing now, too. But but mm-hmm. mostly, like, the work jumpsuits, yes. Okay. And he's had that interest from a very young age. And, yeah, so... Did he ever tell you the origin of it? He's one of those people that doesn't want to interrogate that. Uh, he's a bit of a closed book with things. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. But he's very specific. Very, very, very specific, yes. Can you describe your um, rituals that you have? Yeah, totally. So prisoner and I, I call him my prisoner. Mm -hmm. Um, We speak daily. We go over the number of days he served in chastity. And and when do you do this? Well, previously it was 5 a.m. his time, 8 a.m. my time. But we've actually bumped it up to 6 a.m. his time, 9 a.m. my time. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do this first thing in the morning. That's the first thing I do when I wake up. It's the first thing he does when he wakes up. He calls me, and uh, we talk about his jumpsuit, and Mm -hmm. we talk about that he's locked up in his chastity cage and Mm -hmm. that he's not going to be released and that he um, is serving a sentence for his crimes or simply that he kept women as, end quote, slaves, and he's referring to consensual dominant submissive behaviors from his past so Hmm. that he used to be a male dom oh basically yeah super like benign wow so wait he was he was a male dom previously or is this just a fantasy um i think it actually he did actually do it Uh i think he did have these encounters with women that would come over and clean his house and Mm. he'd put them in shackles and things like that and they'd wear jumpsuits and stuff interesting yeah And so, but he wants the tables turned and... uh, So it's evolved, essentially. It has evolved, yes. You communicate primarily over the phone. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you ever meet in person? Um, So we met at this, this dungeon out in the mountains of Santa Cruz, California. Wow. Um, called, and the facility is called the Edge Jail and Dungeon. It's run by this male MS couple. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's this gorgeous mountaintop that they own, and there's a, a full dungeon with all the equipment you could ever want, and then there's one section of it that is a immersive, fully functioning uh, jail cell. Wow. So it, you're like, you literally am locking him up in, in a prison. Yes. Yeah. And so we did that for three days. So wait, um, do you have to be in there with him the whole time? No. So we actually had um, a camera, a video camera recording him um, and an intercom system so that he could be monitored while I wasn't there. So wait, is it just, it's just jail. So he's, he doesn't do anything. Is he, I mean, in a, when I think of a jail cell, I think there's a bed. There's maybe a sink and maybe a toilet. Mm-hmm. And that's then that's it, it. That's it. That's what it was. And there are people that have this specific fetish that they are aroused by being left in that kind of scenario um, where they are um, role-playing being incarcerated. Hmm. What, like, what do you think about that, like, putting this man in this prison? So, um, I am a, um, unapologetically in prison abolition. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think prisons should exist. Mm-hmm. So it has been interesting kind of role-playing this societal phenomenon that I think is incredibly problematic. So definitely, I, I knew nothing about this when, almost nothing about this when, um, when he first contacted me. And I have learned a lot about it, and it has definitely opened my eyes to the nuances of sexual desire and just how far-reaching um, desire can be in terms of how we pull from culture and how it informs the ways that our sexual desire develops. So what do I think of it? I think it's complicated. Are you comfortable talking about the racial aspect of it? Yes, absolutely. And so this white man's fetish is to be imprisoned. Yes. And and me as a as a person of color, I can't help but think that this is some white madness, like some white bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? I imagine that there is a world of black kingsters out there who maybe have a similar prison fetish, but it's really hard for me personally to wrap my mind around the idea of black and brown people want having the prison fetish because it's such a, a part of our lives and part of uh, systemic injustice. Absolutely. I mean, how does that f- factor into your thinking of, of this fetish? And this is like kind of an incredible relationship to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you view these things as you're entering into it? I definitely had some difficult feelings about it when I first started, but also as I learned more about it, you are correct in that there are people of all identities that have this very niche fetish. So there's all types of kinks and fetishes that reenact violence Mm -hmm. that people are into, or they look like they're reenacting violence. Yeah. I think one of the most obvious ones is um, like race play. Yeah. So what do you what are your thoughts about race play? I mean, my thoughts are complicated because kind of like you said with the prison play, um, would you call it prison play? Correction mm-hmm. role play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are people of all colors, of all orientations and gender identities who have interests in race play. And black people, you know, will sometimes specifically request that. And I've, you know, maybe it's in part like the role of 
porn in our culture and or maybe like porn just taps into like something that's going on and like the deeper you know cultural zeitgeist but I think it's really complicated and it's it's something that I don't feel very comfortable with and I don't know if I could personally be involved in that like I could not use you know derogatory racial language in like a in in a humiliation context in like a ds relationship um that's just personally like a boundary that i have um but i know you know i also feel like people should be entitled to their kinks you know people should be allowed to express themselves in their sex lives or in the their sexuality in ways that are not that are not you know, that are taboo societally that you wouldn't be able to express like on the streets you know like what happens in the sheets doesn't happen in the streets per se unless it yeah. does happen on the streets but you know I think it's important to have that space to work out these different things but could I personally be the one you know using slurs with people personally no yeah absolutely actually yeah so race play is one of my um, hard limits mm-hmm. in terms of things that I don't offer. That said, I I mean, specifically what I'm talking about is if a white person came to me and wanted me to engage in degrading a person of color or like using language that degrades black or brown people, that's a hard limit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not been approached by anyone to do uh, race play for like from a black and brown person Mm -hmm. but um I would definitely be uncomfortable with it but I've heard you know I've heard arguments in both directions of like is my discomfort with providing someone what they need more about my white guilt than it is about doing the right thing that is you know very interesting. And that's something I don't have an answer to. I don't have an answer to I certainly to what do the, not either. Right that's <laughs> yeah. That's absolutely. a real intersection of 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 politics to really yeah. get into. But I mean it's so important that you're able to set those personal limits on where you're going and where you're not going. Yeah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I do believe that sexual play between consenting ad- adults is not the same as reenacting violence yeah um so that is kind of in terms of the type of edge play the psychological edge play that i do with people that's kind of my philosophy on it is that being able to play with societal taboo and things can be a way for people to you know it can be a generative way to to heal to heal but but it's not always healing for everyone. Like some people, it just gets them off. Like and that's, that's definitely and true. that's true and valid too. I mean, I um, think also another thing that I'm thinking with like with race play is that I mean, with a lot of with a lot of kinks, it is very much like decided by the person who has that particular kink. You know, um, somebody's like, oh, I want you to call me the N-word. Mm-hmm. This is their fantasy, and they're setting the parameters of it, and it is right. very much like their autonomy is at play. And right. and it is kind of important to respect that autonomy, but, of course, you know, you got to have your hard limits. Right. That is so Absolutely. complicated. Blows yeah. my mind, but you know what? I am not going to yuck somebody's yum. Yeah. So have you ever had a situation that got very emotional like do your scenes become emotional 
Sometimes, sometimes they do. It looks different for different people depending on what the what the activity is. Mm-hmm. There was uh, one situation recently where I had a client who um, was really into degradation, and um, we had miscommunicated. Or, I mean, from my perspective, um, I wasn't told, mm-hmm. or it wasn't communicated to me clearly. Yeah. Um, but that this person had an interest in scat. Oh. Um, so, like to be degraded about their interest in scat. Oh, but about so scat is shit play stuff. It's shit play, yes, exactly. So, he just liked, like, he liked to have me just talk about shit, basically. Like, mm. shitting on him or him using his shit to jerk off or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. Um, what happened was, I was talking about diarrhea. <laughs> and so, he got really upset. And really? he, like, said basically red, like, he called his hard limit and was, like, really mad that I had, as he said, crossed the limit, which I, because this was, like, the second or third time we had played together, and apparently he had mentioned diarrhea is a hard limit, but scat is not. And I don't remember this conversation, so. That's a, v- um, I mean, that's a very fine line. <laughs> right. But with emotional, psychological edge play, there, it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of landmines you're you're playing with someone's mm-hmm. psyche yeah so i think that diarrhea was a particularly um due to some past experiences he had had with sick people in his life oh. um he had some triggers around talking about diarrhea but not shit shit, shit was fine but not diarrhea diarrhea was a no-no so yeah i ha- that was probably one of the most um significant instances of someone getting emotionally intense so what did so he called red and then mm-hmm. what do you do did you have, try to pick up after that like take a break and well, or? so at first he said that he wanted to leave mm-hmm. like he was like i'm going home wow um, but he paid you ahead of time right yes okay but i mean if he was going to leave i was probably going to like because he had booked for several hours and we had only done like an hour i was probably going to give him his money back or something if he really was, yeah if someone feels that i crossed a boundary like that well that's good that's very um it's a good characteristic yeah but as he calmed down he like genuinely started to understand that i did not know that i i think from his perspective he thought that i was intentionally pushing buttons that oh. he told me not to which i would never do uh-huh. um and then as we kind of calmed down and we talked about it then he felt okay and and we continued um and we just kind of steered a little bit clear of the the meaner stuff okay after that point that's interesting. Yeah. And whenever he got upset, did he did he get loud or like yell at you or something or just start getting dressed and he started to get dressed like he well so it was a head shaving humiliation. Oh. So this person had had extremely long hair and an extremely long beard. Oh wow. And he was in like the midpoint of being shaved. So he had the the center of his head um, just totally shaved and the sides were still hairy oh, and like he just looked a total mess so the, in the middle the, of the black person in me is like damn you should have put that on a ponytail and sold it <laughs> <laughs> um so then he like grabbed the buzzers and started like trying to shave himself as quickly as possible like i'm going home and i was like, mm. like okay like all right what do you need do you want me to like 
give you some space. And he just kept being like, no, no, no. Uh-huh. Um, and then... It's kind of like he, like, regressed a bit. Yeah, yeah, he got really upset. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stayed calm and just kind of was attentive to whatever, you know, he needed. And then as he was able to calm down, he was then able to articulate what had happened for mm-hmm. him. And so then we were able to talk about it. It's almost like you had to, like, mother him in that moment. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you end up kind of nurturing people even in, like, the, like, through the pain the humiliation the degradation and everything absolutely there's it seems like there's a lot of nurturing going on absolutely yes i would say so and how do you so what do you do for aftercare so that is uh previously negotiated um with each person everyone has different wants and needs around aftercare some people don't want any Mm -hmm. some people maybe want to have a discussion afterwards some people want to cuddle and within reason, I will, you know, provide whatever it is that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll usually allocate some, like, time from the session um, to take care of their aftercare needs. So with this uh, SCAC guy, um, did you, what did he want? Did he want to cuddle after, or did he want any aftercare, or did he just want to go, like, book it after? Um, so the the incident happened like towards the beginning, mm-hmm. and then um, yeah, because you finished the scene in the end, right? We did. So it was or the session. It was uh, four hours, and we were only one hour in. Wow, that's such a long session. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he likes to chat. So it was a lot of chatting, um, and that's I think very like um, emotionally like validating for him is to just be able to talk so wow yeah that's Mm -hmm. great um what's your favorite self-care or just i guess aftercare thing that you've done with somebody or do you have any favorites with with my clients yeah i really like to talk i like to hear about their perspective about how things went um i like to hear about what worked and um and if there were things that didn't work what didn't work and for me, like the the verbal feedback and the communication is is what is helpful to me. Definitely. Do you ever get emotional in a scene? Typically, I don't. Part of what I feel that clients are paying me for is, you know, for them to not have to do the emotional labor for mm-hmm. me. So, like, generally. For me, asking the questions and getting feedback from them is, like, enough for me. And then I have, you know, my partner Mm -hmm. who will then provide aftercare for me if I need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. So what does your partner do to help support you? Usually uh, he'll buy me some food and um, we just hang out and cuddle. Oh, that's very sweet. And talk about the session. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, what has brought emotions up in you? Generally, I would say um, what has brought emotions up in me would be, uh, at times, just emotionally intense sessions um, that do involve a lot of degradation. Despite the fact that I enjoy humiliation and degradation, I am a pretty sensitive person. Mm-hmm. And like a pretty, I, I feel like I'm a pretty empathetic person. Mm-hmm. That stuff can, can bring up feelings, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. It can be it can be triggering to, to to say those things to other people. At times, I don't know if triggering that's a little more extreme than it okay. probably actually is. Like 
I mean, if if it didn't go well, uh huh, and then like they felt badly, I would feel pretty terrible. That's true. That's true. But like, if they enjoy it, then, I, then yeah. Then I that, mean, it might be in, emotionally intense, but I wouldn't say triggering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how do you keep the environment safe for your clients? How do you make them feel safe and secure to explore these things that are very personal, very intimate, and it's just it's a lot of risk. So one thing that I do that I I, th- I think that a lot of people do, but I, I think I do to another level is um, my negotiations ahead of time are pretty rigorous. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that helps put a lot of people at ease that I'm I am asking a lot of questions. I'm, you know, giving them a, a questionnaire that's customized to oh, whatever their nice. interests are. Uh-huh. And then I will ask follow up questions based on whatever they say. And um I genuinely want people to feel like I'm taking an interest in what it is that that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that helps put people at ease. I am just generally very validating of people pretty much no matter what you come to me with. I'm, I'm, I'm going to validate you unless it's like, you know, within my hard limits list, then I will respectfully say I don't offer. You'll respectfully like, I am not able to. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. It's important to have those boundaries. Um, is being dominant, you said earlier it is kind of part of your personality, but has that evolved over time? Like, have you become more dominant or more comfortable with certain things that before you may have had some trepidations with performing or things like that? Well, I think when I first got into this, um, I've always been an I- energetic person, mm. I guess. Uh, if I had to describe you, I would yeah, say that please. you're like a very assertive person. Assertive, yeah. You have no problem with being assertive. You have no problem with being confrontational. I think a lot of those traits are painted negatively for AFABs, mm-hmm. um, but you inhabit that space, and that's just something that you naturally do. Yeah, I would say that's right. Um, but I wasn't necessarily always comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, and coming into like learning about femdom and about being a dominatrix was pretty interesting to me to be like oh there are people that actually really want this like that was kind of revolutionary to me at the time Mm -hmm. but you know since going through that frenzy of oh wow this is like so cool that people want to get beaten or something (laughs) um i definitely over time have become less um outwardly dominant Mm -hmm. um in my day-to-day interactions like i don't feel the need to be I'm definitely more reserved. I could see that. I mean, yeah. for me, I feel like because I'm a stripper and uh, that's part of that is just being hypersexual or hypersexualized and all of that uh, occupationally in my normal life, I feel very like sometimes very asexual mm-hmm. or and instead of them, like I'll go to like the mask end of things, like depending on how I'm feeling yeah, because um, it's such a relief to go to the opposite end mm-hmm. whenever you're forced to like whenever you're pushed the, to either extreme end of however you're Presenting. occupying space yeah. for your occupation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, language is so important, and I know you care so much about the the proper use of language in ways that aren't harmful. Um, but you need to use language to harm people. So how are you? <laughs> So how are you able to 
navigate that and also satisfy your ethics. Yeah. So this is one thing that my boyfriend has helped me with a lot and that I've come to realize. And it kind of goes back to that conversation we had earlier about um, ethics and more taboo play or things around like um, systemic injustice and things like that, like playing with those types of things that um, you are helping someone by saying mean things to them. You're doing something nice for them. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds backwards, mm-hmm. but it's a favor. It's a it's 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 a gift. It's a service. It's a service. Yes, because it's wanted and it's consensual. That's the difference. Is we're reenacting these things, we're role playing these things, we're saying these things to each other consensually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about like using uh, language? Like, okay, for I'll give you an example. So say you have a client that is a straight male, mm-hmm. and he wants to be called the F word. A faggot? Yes. I don't use that personally because oh, okay. it's a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if he wanted to be called that, how would you feel using that word with this man who, you know, exists without the, without the oppression of the weight that that word carries well i think a lot of people that um i mean again a lot of people have various motivations for the types of kinks that they have um but many people who are interested in being called are do you would you prefer i don't use it's up it's it's up to you i mean i know that you're you're a queer person and you occupy that space in a maybe in a different way than i do um, similar way, but different ways. And, and I have different levels of comfort with different words. So, yeah, totally. you know, your boundary is not my boundary. Yeah. So I'm fine with you using this word. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> a lot of people that I've come across that are interested in that, um, that comes from a place of, um, like it's freeing for people to be called the things that they're afraid of being. In this case, the feminized other. The feminized other. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that being queer or being a man attracted to men is bad. I think it's a good thing. It's actually a preference Mm -hmm. in terms of the men that I date. And so if it feels meaningful or or erotic to them to be called that, I don't know. Um, I'm not actually... It's, you know, it's consensual. So that's really what it comes down to is the difference is, is there's consent there. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, and of course there's lines for me, like, for example, using racial slurs. Um, Again, I I really haven't broached that topic regarding, like, working with people of color um, and using racial slurs because it is, like, a personal discomfort of mine, partially because that's not an identity that I have any um, affiliate or, like, um, what's the word? Like, I... I'm white, so like mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. Like, it's I'm, just I'm white. I'm, yeah, have but, certain things. But but then there's other things that I that I will say, or you know, types of degradation I'll engage in that I also don't have any type of proximity to that I'm comfortable with. That's a particular one for me mm-hmm. that I'm not comfortable with. So I actually don't. I think that yeah, everyone's different, and and, and context matters. I think context and intent matters. Definitely. Um, Do you feel... So, uh, to kind of go on a different direction, in a different direction for a second, 
Do you feel like um, your sexuality has changed to being uh, less focused on, on, I guess, traditional ideas of sex? Absolutely. Um, so I identify as a key holder. Um, so my, um, I love chastity and orgasm denial. Mm. And, um, since I've gotten into that, uh, gotten into this lifestyle, that is one of the things, like, when you, if I think back, you ask, like, what's some of my favorite kinks? Like, chastity is a big one mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, and my interest in traditional sex in the way that I used to navigate it has definitely changed since I discovered that chastity is an option. (laughs) Absolutely. I was wondering, okay, what about chastity? What is the draw of people who want to have their penises, in this case, in the cage? Where, Where do you think that comes from? Um, again, as, as I've said with every single thing, it, it depends on the person, but some of the common themes would probably be um, emasculation, oh. um, being turned on by being emasculated, by ceding um, control of one's um, orgasm or ability to have erections over to their partner. It can be just simply feeling extremely controlled. <clears throat> Like being turned on by um, the fact that something that is so deeply personal, the other person is like getting to decide if and when you come. Like mm-hmm. that's that's a pretty intense thing to control. Um, some people um, self lock, um, and f- and for some people, those people included, it can be just simply the denial, um, the continual denial can heighten levels of arousal and so um engaging in various activities can become more erotic as a result i always wonder like um if it can be like a relief and for people with like ed like erectile dysfunction and stuff to not have to worry about getting hard because they're not allowed to get hard like if that can be like something that's freeing and definitely you know. I definitely think well there are some people that um, like to be like the humiliated in this way of oh your dick's useless anyway mm-hmm. so you might as well just lock it in a cage yeah yeah problem solved yeah problem solved <laughs> I mean that's a great way you know take lemons and make your cock in a cage yes exactly <laughs> lemonade um, I actually have met someone who um when he's out of a cage he can't get an erection but when he's in the cage um he then attempt like his penis gets hard and he attempts to get an erection but when he's out he can't he can't get hard at all wow what's the most important tool in your quote-unquote toolkit of material this was this one was hard for me i was i was having trouble yeah coming up with an answer to this one it could be immaterial it could be your attitude your willingness to be open your excitement it could be your needle box it could be um i don't know your embracing of i would say the this is a pretty cliche response but i'm here for cliche i think it's true that um, the most important tool in the toolbox, at least for me, is um, your mind. Yeah, because for me, individual like sex acts or um, k- 
kink activities aren't in and of themselves erotic, but when you are applying meaning to them, that's kind of when it becomes exciting. So, um, the creativity. Yes. Yeah, I mean, exactly. and like we said earlier, like you're the best ye- yes and improver out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have one last question, and that is, what would you say is like the most satisfying part of a scene? If there had to be one thing. Of a scene? Yes. Like? Any scene, or I could be specific, which is better. With a client, you're referring to I I'm talking um, about it with a client, with yes. With a client, Yeah. I know probably my favorite part of a session with a client would be the email that I get later. Really? Yeah. And what is that email like? When, you know, they say how good of a job or like how amazing it was and Mm. how much they like this or that. Like, yeah, to get that verbal feedback afterwards and to know that they've been sitting and like thinking about it. Yeah, because I imagine, yeah. I mean, it seems like a lot would come up during a session emotionally, like thoughts-wise and all, and it, it seems like it would maybe be hard to immediately go back into communicating in, like, you know, your regular vanilla way, and yeah. then you need the time to process all everything that's come up. Absolutely. That's really interesting. I love that answer. <laughs> but it is time for a commercial break, you guys. Who has time to go to the gym? The answer is nobody. Who wants to wait for their turn on the treadmill and then wait again for the weights? Definitely not me. And why is it always so competitive? What if you just want to wear the ratty t-shirt your dog ate and a pair of gym shorts your mother thrifted for you? It's time to ditch the gym and buy yourself a special workout television that teaches you to work out with our scientist-tested exercise regimens. But wait, hasn't that already been done before? What about Jazzercise and P90X? What makes our workout television special? The answer is nothing at all. And we're proud of that fact. We made a new exercise television called Mirror that is no different from any of our competitors aside from the fact that it requires you to buy and store an additional television just to work out. It's like a Kinect, but much more expensive. And we know you want to pay too much for an unnecessary accessory that you don't need. And that's why Mirror is here for you. Be bougie and stay home. That's the magic of Mirror. Uh, that's actually a shout out to Mirror, which I feel like is kind of pointless. But probably somebody's going to like eventually be like, I like Mirror quite a lot. And it's mm-hmm. helped me out. And you can see your form and be better at doing things. Whatever. Um... <laughs> Well, anyway, we are coming to the end of this show, and it has been amazing. We've talked about so many things. We've so learned many, so much. So many things. Uh, we've, we've been very intimate, and it is time to tell everybody where we can find you, Mia. So you can find me at MiaAction.com, um, also on Instagram or Twitter at ServeMiaAction, and if you use FetLife, my username is simply MiaAction. I'm Selena Dastrepa. You can find me on Instagram at Pretty Boy Girl. You can follow the Patreon at The Real Pretty Boy Girl, where you can read my very intimate stories of uh, interactions with clients. And also, you can support this show, which costs quite a lot of money to make. So, anyway, I hope that you enjoyed 
this show and enjoy our content, please like, subscribe, share, do all of the things, and, you know, continue being some thoughtful thoughts. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> more money. I want your money. I want more money. 